Hi there Grace Vineyard, it's uh, Andy again. Over the last couple of weeks we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and in particular we're studying the section which is called the Beatitudes. If you've heard either of Jill's last two talks then you'll have hopefully noticed that each of the Beatitudes start with the phrase that you're blessed when something else happens. The term blessed here means a deep abiding happiness which is what God is wanting to give you. Each of the sayings builds on the previous statements so they complement and explain the next step further rather than being individual statements. Jill started our journey acknowledging our own significance and our dependence on God. We can give God nothing that he doesn't already have in abundance. All he asks is that we come to him acknowledging our inadequacy. And then Jill continued last week with how we must be repentant because we're sinful. We must mourn our inadequacy. Our creator God is a redeemer who turns things around so that our sorrows are turned into joy. He makes beauty from ashes. The Sermon on the Mount could be described as Jesus's manifesto for his kingdom. We've got candidates at the moment telling us about what they would do if we elect them to become Mayor of London. They give us the vision that they have for what, what they would like for the future of London. In the Sermon on the Mount, it becomes very apparent that Jesus valued the things that the world around us doesn't. In South London, we've grown up in a Western individualistic culture. It values promotion of self. My needs, my wants are central and others should not stop us getting us what we're entitled to. Western individualistic culture is basically selfish and competitive at heart. What Jesus spells out in the Sermon on the Mount is a nonsense to how the world works. It's countercultural. You should have heard it said that Jesus' kingdom and values can be described as the upside down kingdom. He seems to value things which are ridiculous to the world that we live in. I'm going to read Matthew 5 from the Message Bible because it paraphrases Jesus' words in a punchy way which will hopefully hit home in a different way, grab your attention to what Jesus is trying to tell us. So this is Matthew 5 from the Message Version. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you will find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best and the best meal that you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care 
At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete and fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you ever deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close to comfort, for they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, and all of heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always got into this kind of trouble. So, we've had talks from Jill about how we're blessed when we're poor in spirit and when we mourn. Today, I'm going to concentrate on how we're blessed if we're meek, as the NIV translates it. This third blessing is we're blessed, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Or as the message said, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Meekness is a misunderstood word. It's often confused with weakness, but it isn't that. Meekness, according to the dictionary, is the quality of being quiet, gentle and unwilling to argue or to express your opinions. It's a quality of submission, putting other people's needs before your own are met. It's certainly very different from the Western culture that we live in, which values and demands that everyone should have their human rights as something without question. We're strongly encouraged to stand up for ourselves in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. If you don't look out for your own needs, then who will? Anyway, you're entitled to it. It's your right and nobody should stand in your way. Western culture raises us up to be very selfish in every part of our lifestyle. Jesus, of course, modelled what he taught. He lived a lifestyle of selflessness. He showed us how to put others' interests and benefits before our own in a style which can be called servant leadership. Jesus' most vivid example of this was when he, the boss, washed the disciples' feet. It produced a violent reaction in them, especially from Peter. They were shocked that their master should be grovelling at their feet, doing the unpleasant mundane task of cleaning their smelly, dirty feet. Remember, too, that Jesus also washed Judas's feet in the full knowledge that he'd already got plans to betray him. He showed the full extent of his love to his enemy as well. Did this act shock and revolt Judas so much that it made him even more determined to betray Jesus? This was not the type of Messiah that Judas wanted and he gave up on him. I believe that you'll find that the leadership of Grace Vineyard try to be servant leaders. 
We're not people who love being in charge and just want to boss others around. All I can say for myself is that I wouldn't choose to be in charge. I struggle with it. But I do know that God asks me to carry, carry on serving you, trying to take the church, make the church function as it should. I try to be a servant leader. If you're a true follower of Jesus, modelling his manifesto, then we should live a life of service to others. We have to put our own agenda to one side for the common good. The Covid pandemic has isolated us and driven us apart. It's affected our community. We haven't been able to see each other. Keeping in touch with each other is harder. Most of us are very weary of it all. There's a tendency to want to withdraw, to nurse our own hurts and fears. Zoom church and YouTube recordings are great, but we have the option to just listen to church and then switch off. It can all become selfish, but there's no community in, in just listening and switching off. I was instructed to shield at home and I can't work from home. So I was furloughed. I spent hours and hours on my own and I tried to make constructive and unselfish use of that time. But I think that I've become more selfish and antisocial. It isn't what Jesus wants of me, so I'm sorry. I hate the reliance on technology. It frustrates and scares me at times. I'm trying to change. But at the moment I'm, I'm back at work again and the strains of commuting and being out in the world uh, can be scary and it's exhausting. So please God the Covid restrictions will continue to be lifted and we can look for ways to rebuild our community in grace. I want to read to you part of what Paul says to the Philippian church. Again I'll read from the Philippians, uh, from the message version. This is Philippians 2, starting at verse 1. If you've got anything out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus talked, thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but he didn't think so much of himself that he had clung to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and he took on the status of a slave. He became human. He became human and stayed human. It was an incredibly humble, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death. The worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, 
Then God lifted him high and honoured him far above anyone or anything, ever. So that all created things in heaven and earth, either those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship because before this Christ Jesus and call out in praise that he is the master of all, to the glorious honour of God the Father. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living with you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. Do everything readily and cheerfully, not bickering, no second-guessing allowed. Go about into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living, of the living God. Carry this life-giving message into the night so that I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't do all this work for nothing. Jesus told us to love one another with the type of love that he displayed, selfless love, putting others' needs first. If we do this, people around us will notice. If we don't live like that, we will not be promoting Jesus and the church will die. Please try to be outward looking for others' needs and help and support each other. I said that the Message Bible translate today's verse, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. This, of course, is countercultural. We're surrounded and we're bombarded by materialism. It thrives on our dissatisfaction. It promises as much, but it delivers little. We must all experience the burning desire for things, which when we do have them, have a short-lived pleasure. They're soon forgotten. The latest must-have is usually a waste of our time and effort and money. Don't listen to the sales pitch. They're only trying to sell you what you already have. Once your wardrobes are full of skinny trousers, they'll be selling you flared ones or torn ones. They're soon replaced with another fad. The latest super duper phone or gadget will soon be old hat when the next one comes out. It's a never ending cycle of dissatisfaction. We also strive for satisfaction in things like finding a marriage partner or we have pride in what we or our family have achieved. These things can be good, but they won't bring lasting satisfaction. If you did the Freedom in Christ course with us, then you may remember the formulas that the world bombards us with. These are the formulas of the world. Performance and accomplishments equal significance. Status and recognition equal security. Appearance and admiration equal acceptance. If you've heard me talk before, then you'll have heard that I'm a man who fights self-doubt. I've wasted hours 
striving for reassurance that I matter, that I'm worth something. It's driven me towards perfectionism, which is unsatiable. It can never be satisfied. I may have a worldwide recognition for my models, but I can find fault in all of them. Comparison eats contentment for breakfast. My work may have been one of the most talks about things on the internet for a few days, but who cares now? So what? It was a few years ago. History. Adulation is temporary and addictive. As I said, the world and its desires promote promise much, but they deliver little. It's a puff of smoke which soon dissipates. Don't waste your energy and time on vanity. I'd like to read you a poem written by Max Licardo. It's called The Villagers of Stiltsville. Perhaps you don't know, then maybe you do, about Stiltsville the village, so strange but so true, where people like we, some tiny, some tall, with jobs and kids and clocks on the wall, keep an eye on the time, for each evening at six they meet in the square for the purpose of sticks. Tall stilts upon which stilt villains construct and be lifted above those down in the rut. The less and the least, the tribe are two smalls, the not-calls and have-nots who want to be tall but can't because in the giving of sticks their name was not called, they just weren't picked. Yet still they come when villagers gather and they press to the front to see if they matter. To the clique of the call, to the court of high clout, who decide who is special and declare with a shout, you're classy, you're pretty, you're clever or funny, and bequeath the prize, not of medals or money, not a freshly baked pie or a house someone built, but the oddest of gifts, a gift of some stilts. Moving up is their mission, going higher their aim. Elevate your position is the name of their game. The higher-ups of Stiltsville, you know if you've been there, make the biggest to-do of the sweetness of thin air. They relish the chance on their high apparatus to strut on their stilts the ultimate status. But isn't life best when viewed from the top? Unless you stumble and suddenly are not, so sure of your footing, you tilt and then sway, look out below, and you fall straight away. Into the two smalls, hoi polloi of the earth, you land on your pride, pride, and boy how it hurts, when the sheep police, in the jilt of all jilts, don't offer to help, but instead take your stilts. Who made you king, you start to complain, but then you notice the hour and forget your refrain. It's almost six, no matter for chatter, no time for chatter. It's back to the crowd to see if you matter. Stiltvillians still cluster and crowds still clamour, but more stay away. They seem less enamoured. Since the carpenter came and refused to be stilted, he chose low over high, left the system tilted. You matter already, he exclaimed to the town. Trust me on this one. Keep your feet on the ground. Please come to the realisation that no matter uh, whatever it is that drives you to dissatisfaction, it will never really satisfy your soul. 
It may pamper your pride for a few minutes, but it soon gets washed away with the next wave and it will vanish. Worldly values of performance and accomplishments, status and recognition, appearance and admiration are all vanity. They're empty and short-lived. They're temporary. Don't try and fill your hearts and desires with worthless stuff because the empty bit of your heart can only be filled by God. We're created to be in communion with God. Nothing else can fill that need, however hard you try. You will only find your true significance, security and acceptance in your relationship with God through Jesus, who made it possible. Significance. You're very important to God. Christians are his beloved children. He loves you enough that he went through the agony of crucifixion and Trinity separation to enable you to have a close relationship with him. Security. You can trust God to supply your needs. No one and no thing can snatch you out of his loving arms. He will never stop loving you. Acceptance. God is aware of all your shortcomings and every bad thing that you've done or not done. He still wants your company. Nothing surprises God and nothing that you've done or thought can stop you entering his love when it's acknowledged and forgiven in repentance. God says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. God adores you. You're his child. Because God rejected Jesus as he took the punishment for your sin, God will never reject you. So going back to the message translation of today's verse, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you're, you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. We're told to be content with who we are, the way God made you. Whatever you look like, whatever you can or can't do, whatever people think about us or ignore us for, in God's upside down kingdom, you are important and loved, not for what you look like or what you can do. You're important to God because of your uniqueness. Whether you're liked or applauded or even noticed down here is a little consequence to God. He's passionate about you and he wants your company. He wants to help you negotiate this confusing, troublesome world. Happy and content with the way he made you. Don't waste your time looking around to see what others think about you. Just look up and be satisfied. You won't earn God's love. You just have to accept that it's a fact. Many of you will know that my favourite uh, Bible verses are Philippians 4, 4 to 9, about always being joyful, giving your anxiety to God, trusting him with a peace that you're never to be able to understand. I'll come back to those verses later. I want to quote the passage that follows it, where talk, Paul's talking about contentment. This is Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you've again, that you're again showing your such concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now 
to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Did you hear that? I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't mean that your help do doesn't mean a lot to me. It did. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing that you came alongside me in my troubles. Paul had learnt how to be content, happy and joyful. He found himself the owner of everything that can't be bought or even earned. He was content in Jesus. Whatever life threw at him, it didn't affect his joy because he had his eyes on what was really important. His life was certainly not comfortable. He wrote those words when he was imprisoned and he had a death sentence hanging over his head. But his uncertain life could not rob him of his joy in Jesus. John explains it like this. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the, lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I like singing. Music is one of the daily rhythms that remind me regularly of my hope in God. We all have to find our own individual ways. I don't like singing in front of others. I'm happiest when it's just God and me because of my natural shyness. And perfectionism makes me loathe recordings of myself. But I want to risk by letting you hear one now. This is a song which has put those words of Philippians 4 that I like to music. This passage is a prescription for peace and contentment in your life. Hopefully this song will encourage some of you. <laughs> 